Have you realized yet that your purpose in life is constantly evolving? The thing is, it can only evolve, grow, and expand to the extent you're willing to do the work to heal. That's why I've created a transformative half-day virtual event designed for purpose chasers who want to integrate their authentic selves in every aspect of their life. Together, we're going to co-create conversations around reflecting on current patterns, amplifying your genuine desires, prioritizing fulfillment over the facade of what you should do, and we'll talk about achieving actual tangible results. I believe our work together will have a profound impact on your life as we break you out of autopilot, scale your potential, and set you up to attract everything you say you desire. Plus, this space will be an enjoyable and supportive environment for new connections with like-hearted purpose chasers from all over the world. Together, we will laugh, dance, and maybe cry, but we'll be doing the work together. If this speaks to your soul and you want to detox and release what's no longer serving you so you can live fully in the pillars of redefining wealth, tickets are currently complimentary for this half day of coaching, training, and co-creating a new blueprint for your heart's desires directly with me. So grab your ticket today at patricewashington.com slash soul detox. That's patricewashington.com slash soul detox. My body began rejecting what I was programmed to think was success. You're listening to the Redefining Wealth podcast with Patrice Washington. In today's episode, I sit down with financial wellness expert, Jason Batu. He's the author of the best-selling book, You Only Live Once. Hey there, this is Patrice Washington from patricewashington.com, where we chase purpose, not money. Welcome back. This is the second episode in a brand new series called Courageous Money. And this series is all about helping you get courageous in the conversations that you may need to have with some folks around you. Here's what you need to know. Redefining wealth is all about teaching you that wealth is so much more than money and material possessions. Wealth is truly, truly about well-being. That's the original definition. And so we look at that by going through our six pillars of wealth. But of course, money is still a pillar. And so a couple times a year, I'm doing these series where we can get hardcore on the personal finance related conversations. And today you are in for a treat. Jason Batug is my boy. And this is actually one of the, and I say that respectfully, of course, um, this is actually one of the first episodes we did with Patrice's Pod Club Live. So for Patrice's Pod Club, which is exclusively for folks who consider themselves to be purpose chasers. If you're a purpose chaser, that means you've officially signed up and you're in our free Slack community at IamAPurposeChaser.com. In that space, we have a channel for Patrice's Pod Club where every other month I'm suggesting books that I'm personally reading. We're reading them together. We're talking about them together. And then I'm going to invite the author on for their interview, but for you to be a part of it with me. Like, how cool is that? Not only do you get to just be a part of that conversation, because, you know, sometimes things get edited by the time it actually, you know, hits the airwaves here. Um, But also you have a chance to ask these pretty high profile people questions or give them feedback and just talk to them about their experience in their book. And I don't know how often you get to do that. I'm just saying. But it is something that I'm truly looking to build more and more as we go into 2020. So, so excited that Jason said yes. Now, before I jump in to today's episode, I have to tell you that this one was brought to you by me. (laughs) Actually, it's brought to you by Purpose to Platform. We are now enrolling. So if you're starting to think about what's next for you when you leave your possibly high-paying but maybe unfulfilling job and have no clue of where to start to build a strong foundation, my business accelerator and mentorship program, Purpose to Platform, may be just what you need. This 20-week online adventure will get you clear on how to package your purpose, communicate your promise to your ideal audience, choose the best platform for your personality and lifestyle, and create a premium offer. You'll have accountability and support in a dynamic community so you can finally make progress and be ready before you even need to pull that trigger 
on what may no longer be serving you. So book a breakthrough call today at Purpose2Platform.com. That's Purpose, the number two, platform.com. And let's see if we're a fit. Seats are limited and I'd love to serve you. Now, before we move forward, let me give you Jason's formal bio. Jason Matug is a financial wellness expert, founder of personal finance website Frugal, and best-selling and New York Times reviewed author of You Only Live Once, The Roadmap to Financial Wellness and a Purposeful Life. Jason's story began when he said no to the CEO position and walked away from his executive job to backpack through 20 countries in 12 months, rejecting the traditional path to forge his own way in the world. In 2015, he created the Plutus award-winning project, The Road to Financial Wellness, and hosted over 90 events in 48 states attended by over 16,000 people in just two years. And I was one of those people, and it was amazing. Without further ado, here's my good financial buddy, Jason Vatuk. Welcome to the Redefining Wealth podcast, Jason. Thank you so much, Patrice. Happy to be here. I am so excited to finally have you. We have been looking forward to this chat. I always like to start the podcast with kind of giving backstory whenever there is some backstory. And I have to tell everyone that we met, was that like maybe five or six years ago now? Yes, six years ago now. About six years ago, Jason and I met on the dance floor. (laughs) <laughs> at, uh, and you guys know I'm Rhythmless Nation, but still, I gave it my best effort. We met on the dance floor at FinCon, which is a conference for like financial bloggers or personalities, people in the financial space, and just kind of hit it off and kept in touch and have been supporting each other for years. And always makes me so happy when I'm in the personal finance section of any bookstore because we're really close. Like Washington and Batu, we're really close. So to know that we met on that dance floor many years ago and didn't have any of that stuff and to just watch each other grow over the years, really exciting. Good stuff. It, it is. It's exciting because you never know who you meet. And so you have to be present. So if you're chasing a goal, you need to be where, where people doing the exact same things are. So, I mean, at that point, it was in you know one of those after parties for, for FinCon and we weren't dancing. We we're bobbing our heads. So <laughs> it was us, on the dance floor. That's on the dance floor. Yep. Yeah. We were bobbing our heads on the dance floor. And, and at that point, you know, we, we, we looked at each other with our heads bopping. And it's like, what are you doing here? And what are your goals? And on the dance floor, we're talking about our goals, our dreams, and where we want to take, take our kind of like our vision for personal finance. And how do we relate that? And I thought that was awesome. And six years later, I mean, here we are. I want to start, though, by telling you that I really didn't realize how similar we were until (laughs) I got into the book. And there were a couple things. First of all, both class president, both honor society, both played sports, and we both got into debt in college because someone offered us a Frisbee in exchange for an application. Mine was a T-shirt, a sun visor, and a Frisbee. And I personally left college with $18,000 of credit card debt. Yeah, so so we're definitely twins. <laughs> yeah, you I, were just I, did, in I was in Cali. Yeah, I, I didn't know that uh, about you, but that just goes to show where our growth and our evolution has you know has taken us, and that's that's awesome. I didn't know that. Well, it's funny though. It also shows that you can be intellectually smart, but you know, for that season or that time, and still make really bad choices really dumb choices, you know, at the end of the day, but mostly because I love how you put it in the book. You said, I was taught how to calculate the area of a triangle, but not the power of compounding interest. Well, yeah. I mean, in in high school and throughout our formal education, you know, we're taught algebra, history, science, but no one talks to us about money. I mean, money wasn't talked at home and it wasn't talked at schools. And so where am I going to learn this? And I was learning it out in the streets pretty much. And in that case with the Frisbee is like out on campus. And so that was my introduction to credit. And that's became part of my purpose is just to get people to understand that personal finance should be taught in, in kind of these formal settings, uh, as well as breaking the taboo about money in social settings. And because that's where we're going to learn. Yeah. 
So as your journey progressed, though, you went from, you know, kind of getting into credit card trouble in college, but then you moved on eventually. You had a lot of odd jobs, if I remember correctly. <laughs> then you moved on and got into finance in, in a way, right? And became really successful professionally, but unsatisfied personally. And I love that you said in the book, I was income stable, but still financially inept. Can you kind of talk about what your journey was and where you found yourself where you had that six figure salary, but you were still living paycheck to paycheck? Well, I mean, yeah, I really want to go back to to college in terms of like, you know, we're drilled in growing up that there is a path for success. So there's, you know, uh, graduate high school, get into college, then get that job. Then success is when you can afford that car. And then you get that promotion in, in your career and then you buy the house. So there's this specific path. And once we complete these milestones, we're supposed to be happy. You know, it's like graduate college, then you'll be happy. Get that dream job, you'll be happy. Buy that house, do this. And so eventually I started following that path. And then I realized, I'm like, wait a minute, when do I actually become happy? And I didn't realize it back then when I was making all these financial mistakes and I got into student loan debt and I got into credit card debt and I was mindlessly consuming and just kind of swipe, 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 pin, pin, pin. I didn't realize that that was going to impact my ability to truly chase my dream, which is really in the creative field. I went into college wanting to be a filmmaker and I graduated with a degree in finance. So, How does that happen? Oh, yeah. It happens because, you know, I, I didn't know exactly how to get into the film industry. And everyone was telling me that's not how you make money. And so here's someone who doesn't understand how finance works and wants to chase this dream. And then everyone's telling me, well, you're going to need money. And the best way to to make money is in business. And so I decided to drop out of the film program and go into the business program. And that was kind of like an introduction. It was a good introduction. And I got into finance, graduated, and then eventually got a job at a bank. So that's what I thought was a trajectory. It's like, I get my business degree, I get a job at a bank, I'm going to start making money, and I'm going to climb up that corporate ladder. And I did just that. And again, too, in between, I was so confused in terms of what my career aspirations were going to be because you go from being creative into this really business sector. It really messes you up mentally. And I've carried that with me for such a long time. And, but then I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm just going to climb up that corporate ladder. And I did. So I went from taking deposits as a teller to becoming VP of marketing and business development for a credit union out in Silicon Valley, all within four years. So I climbed up very quickly. So with that said, it was it was really powerful because I was having these conversations with people while I'm working in retail banking, people that were constantly asking me to get their fees reversed because they've overdrafted on their account or they missed a credit card payment. So I had that authority within retail banking as a manager to be able to do that. And then I kept asking myself, why were these people getting into these situations? Then I had other customers and members who was always depositing big checks and they had a ton of money and they're talking to me about like how they're living off of their dividends and this was a payment through uh, their investments. So that piqued my curiosity and I didn't know that I was having uh, this educational uh, lesson from from these members and these customers within the bank or, or the credit union that I was working at. And so I started changing my own personal habits and I started consuming kind of just information because I wanted to be those people that were depositing the checks and not the person that was asking to have a fee reversed. Because I've been in that situation. And you talked about the Frisbee. You know, I graduated college with $5,000 and that credit card that started at $500 limit. And I see in the book, like I had no clue how or what I spent with that $5,000, I just remember that Frisbee and that will forever be my $5,000 Frisbee. And that will continually you know, will live with me for the rest of my life. But it's a good lesson in terms of um, being more mindful and being aware of where we are. 
So even when you were at the credit union, though, I do remember you kind of getting to that point, if I'm not mistaken, where you, as you say, you were chasing money to solve all your problems, right? So there was still that time when you had the cars, you had the nice apartment, you had all the clothes in the closet, but there was still some dissatisfaction. So can you talk about that? Because I think that's a big part of like what we talk about with chasing purpose, not money, that the money is not actually going to fulfill. Yeah, again, too, going back to that path that we're supposed to follow to become happy and fulfilled, if I'm meticulous and I'm following that to the T and I'm seeing successes, right? Outside, people are telling me I'm, I'm very successful. And then I equate that success with the purchase of material things. And so here I am, like I grew up, I lived in 17 different houses before I graduated high school. And now I, I live in an apartment in Palo Alto, California with a closet bigger than the room I shared with my two brothers. And so I equated success with just kind of the, the purchase of things. And in order for me to purchase more things, I needed to chase money. So I went out there and I mean, I hustled and to climb that corporate ladder. I, I was very, I think, internally knew how to communicate and talk with senior executives and senior management that allowed me all these opportunities. And I got these frequent raises that I achieved that six-figure salary. So I got the two cars, the motorcycle. I had like that, that walk-in closet with clothes. And I thought that was the answer. The answer was to keep making more money, keep buying these things, and kind of living for the appearance of satisfaction and, and wealth. And there was a disconnect. And I don't share it so much on the book, but it, it really aligns with your message. There was a moment I was laying in bed, staring out onto the ceiling, and I started crying and bawling. And I had no clue why, but I think my body began rejecting what I was programmed to think was success. And at that point, I realized it's not normal for me to be out in the blue crying and unsure of why. And that all related to kind of the choices I was making with, with uh, my career, uh, with my purchases, and also my focus on money. I mean, at that point, I remember I was dissatisfied at work. And they, I asked for, for a raise. And 24 hours later, I'm making $10,000 more than I was making. And it was that easy in terms of like, I, I did my job well, and I was being placed into, into this track to become the successor CEO. So you're looking at the age of 28, I'm going to be the successor CEO of, of this organization. And that was like a moment to go, well, is this the path I want to continue on? And it was that moment also like walking into my apartment and seeing all my stuff going, does this represent my values? And, and so, you know, I just didn't want an apartment or a place that I lived in where I accumulated a whole bunch of things that wasn't really representative of who I am or the person that I want to be. And, and so ultimately, I had to make that decision. And so when, they, when the board of directors and my CEO sat me down and said, Jason, we have some exciting news for you. And I'm like, what's that? We want you to, to be the successor CEO when the CEO retires in a few years. And I said, well, thank you very much, but I think I'm going to resign instead. So it was a shock. It was definitely a shock for them. And the one key thing, though, is that that wasn't a decision I took very lightly. It took me six months to actually leave. Um, they, were, they were working with me, trying to get me to stay and say, what can we do? You can work anywhere around the world. Uh, we will help you purchase a, a home. At that point, I didn't you know, purchase a home yet. And so they're doing everything they can to, to get me to stay. But they realized this was going to be the moment um, that I had to, to risk it all. Or five, 10 years later, I might regret um, not, not taking that opportunity. Uh, I just, this story resonates so much. And one of the things that I hear a lot that people say to me when I'm out and about is, it's easy for you to say, um, chase purpose, not money, because you already have money. That's what I hear all the time. But I'll tell you, I remember it was, I think, 2010. 
that I actually was given a job offer at the time, you know, I was broke, <laughs> like <laughs> flat broke and working all these odd jobs just to make ends meet and, you know, pay off all these little payment plans. We were on in the midst of losing everything. And I, I got offered a job that at the time my family really needed, but I had already also felt that call that I was led to do the work that I was going to do in personal finance, even though no one knew my name and no one really knew anything about me, but I knew that that's what I was called to do. And I was sitting in this office actually across from Steve Harvey and, uh, and his manager at the time, Rashawn McDonald, and they were offering me this job, Jason. And before I knew it, I was like, yeah, I'm not going to be able to do that. <laughs> and like, I, like it just came out just and they were like, well, we can give you the title. Do you want a title with finance? And I'm like, so am I going to be doing like finance related things? And they're like, no, we'll just give you the title. So <laughs> if that'll make you happy. And I just was like, no, like I can't do it. Even in a moment of, yes, my family actually really needed it. But I knew that making that decision in that moment, it was a defining moment. It was like, I could get, I could do it for the money now, but then I'll be trapped here doing something that I don't really feel called to do and potentially taking years off of what I know I'm supposed to do. And I mean, I, I mean, I just love your example too, that in that moment, it's like, no, it can't just be about the money. Like it has it, to be purposeful. It, it, it can't be just about the money. And it's funny, you say, people say that to me as well. It's like, oh, you can say that money isn't important or don't chase money when you have money. And I can say that I, there were a point where I was at the brink of financial ruin and bankruptcy. And it was just because of all those financial mistakes I was doing. And it was being compounded because I was chasing money. I was chasing that specific salary and I was unhappy. I didn't enjoy what I was doing. And I found myself in a cycle of just overconsumption to compensate for the fact I was unhappy with the work I was doing. And so even in the book, I talk about how I was modestly consuming and over like, you know, constantly complaining about my situation and I didn't know how to get out of it. And when you're in that mindset, it's so hard to get out of. And just like you, when they offered me that position, when I said, I'm going to resign, it just came out. <laughs> and, but I think it was working itself out. And, and so there's a saying that no means new opportunity. I think for us, you and I, we're, we're kind of saying yes to this, yes to this, and especially early on, because we think by saying yes to everything, um, we're then able to kind of achieve our goals faster. And what I've learned now is that we're more purposeful when we pick the yes and we say no to more things because no is that new opportunity, you know? So the moment you said no to something you've opened yourself up to a new opportunity that may be closer to your purpose. I like that. I, I definitely like that. So I want to get into how you had the audacity to take this term, you only live once, <laughs> and kind of spin it on its head a little bit, right? Because for so long, we heard you only live once during that time as a means to not plan and to just kind of go with the flow and like let tomorrow worry about itself. And then you flip it and you only live once and kind of make us really create that plan and change our mindset. So what, what encouraged you to kind of shift that? I, that you know what it was? It's like, yeah, I think Drake took, took you only live once, turned it into YOLO and, and every single time we're out in the bars, we're going YOLO with a shot of tequila and we're out in the mall buying uh, whatever it is that we're buying, saying, YOLO, we only live once. We might as well do it now. And I mean, I get that point. I get, I get the point that, you know, life is lived at this very moment. You know, tomorrow never actually comes. It's at this moment. But when we start making sound financial decisions and we're living the life we want to live today, then we need to start planning on how we can ensure that that life is maintained, you know, for, for years to come. And so when I started kind of looking at, you know, yeah, this is, this is my life. I want to live the specific life for the rest of my life. It's like, it's my, it's my only life. And then I'm like, wait a minute, there's already a term out there. There's YOLO. You only live once. So I started doing research. And then that's when I realized that that term didn't start with us millennials. You know, anyone that's under like 45, it didn't start, start with us. 
it's been around for hundreds of years. And the most famous things from Mae West, which was over the turn of like the century, like which is the 1900s, right? <laughs> like a hundred years ago, she talked about like, you know, you only live once. And if you do it right, once is enough. And that's absolutely true. And as I started applying YOLO to personal finance, I realized it wasn't about that instant gratification. It was about long-term satisfaction. Because I can go ahead and I can, I can purchase that $50,000 BMW. And I did that. I actually bought a car with a credit card. And eventually, then I have all these monthly payments. So that would, would trap me into a job that I don't necessarily like. So that wasn't really truly living YOLO. You know, that's just kind of just being irresponsible with my time uh, and my money. I love that you talked about that in the book. I love the way that you broke it down when you think about the purchases you make and the fact that, if, especially if you're buying it on credit, right? Was it worth it? Like you bought this one item that now you have to work 30 hours to pay for. Like, was that worth 30 hours of your life? Like, yeah. And it can be. I mean, I, I use all the time. I go across the country and I have these conversations with people in social settings. As you know, I love online conversations, but I think what's very impactful is having these, these offline, you know, one-to-one or these events. I mean, you're, you're around the, like the country doing the exact same thing. And so for me, it's like, yes, it's great that I can connect with people on social media. They can read my blog. We can have these conversations. But the moment I start having uh, face-to-face conversations with people and I give the example, uh, just as you state, if you spend money on X... Well, you know, how much, like, you know, we can relate that to, to, to your time and to your money. And so like a cell phone right now, an Apple iPhone is $1,000, let's say. And if you make $10 per hour, that's 100 hours of your life. So that's two and a half, uh, what is that? Two and a half of your paycheck. So, so like two and a half weeks to think about that. It's like, is that, is that worth it? And it can be because like, you know, if you're the type that, that you like to be connected with people, you're, you might be reading books on your phone. It definitely might be worth it. But I think a lot of us, and this really pertained to me, I was making these decisions like mindlessly. I, they weren't conscious. And so when I go and I, and I made these purchases and then I started relating it to how much time I had to work, things changed for me. And, and so, I mean, that also relates to, you know, why I don't do certain chores. Um, because I look at, well, what's, what's the, uh, the ROI in terms of, you know, if, if I paid someone else to do this, I could be one sleeping more. I could, I could be spending time here speaking with you and, and everyone else in your community. So for me, I look at it that way. And it's important for us, even in the beginning, to start really breaking it down in terms of our purchases and in terms of our time. Yeah, I thought that was so great in the book, Jason. You, I mean, you had a whole section on knowing the power of time. And, you know, you talked about time like money is a resource that must be managed. And that when we make money work for us, we're managing our time effectively. And I just really don't think that many of us, as you say, are spending so mindlessly that we just don't put that together. I love the example you gave in the book. If you if your TV was purchased for $600 and you make $10 per hour, that TV now represents 60 hours of your life. If we literally just walked around, like you said, right? Because needs and wants change for different people at different points in life, right? So to your point, at different times, certain things are maybe it's going to be worth it because of, you know, what is important to you or how it's reflected in your values. But a lot of things are not worth it. Like, right. So for many of us, if we actually walked around our homes right now, went, wait a minute, this basically cost me 15 hours of my life. This cost me 300 hours of my life. Like you would definitely start to make different choices. It just makes sense. Uh, I love in the book where you have this moment where you're talking to a friend and she basically is like, you're so lucky that you get to travel and go do these things. Right. Um, And you say to her, you look out the window and you say like, oh, that must be nice. You have like a fifty thousand dollar car outside. And she's and you guys go into this back and forth. Can you kind of talk about how even when we're talking about trading our hours for objects? 
so many people still find ways to rationalize or justify these purchases. And here at our community, we say rationalization is rationing out lies. Like we tell ourselves lies and everyone else. Um, I love that you you have these personal back and forth uh, conversations with your own friends. Do you remember that story? Can you just kind of tell a little bit of that story? I do. And, and so it's, it happened years ago. And it, again, it's, it stuck with me because it's, it just shows about our values and how uh, we're so distracted in terms of what's happening outside. We don't get to, to look within and figure out kind of like, what are we doing that's preventing us from living the life that we, we say we want to live? And, and so it, with, that, with that story, we're, we're talking about how I'm traveling all around the world. So kind of like going back to, to my backstory, when I, when I resigned that corporate job, I spent a year backpacking around the world, 20 countries in 12 months. And that was an eye-opening experience. Uh, one, understanding that certain parts of the world, you know, I can really live in, in very minimally, but very well because the dollar just really stretched. And places like Western Europe, where it was really expensive and my money would just be drained. And so, and also about personal choices, because I was able to fund that one year backpacking because I decided not to use the down payment I would put in a home and said, use that for, for this excursion around the world. And that opened me up. That opened me up in terms of like conversations with people I normally wouldn't have. And also exposure to different cultures, not just uh, those cultures here in the United States, because again, that's influenced with our American culture, but the culture that is intact in places like in Southeast Asia, Western Europe, and Central America. And, and so I shared these photos online and with my friends. And they're like, this is awesome. And, and they love that, that I turned my back on corporate America. I was doing my own thing. And they didn't really understand my personal financial situation. And so when I got back, that's 2013, my friends would ask me all the time, like, how were you able to leave that lucrative job? What are you going to do next? And there's that one particular conversation with my friend who said, you're just so lucky. You know, every, it, there's this assumption that when you achieve a level of success or you've said no to the traditional path, that everything was easy and it wasn't. And so, so that conversation, we were talking about all the countries I was visiting and how he hadn't in, in the last two years be able to travel. And so I remember too, because we were sitting right in the living room and I looked out in the window and I saw the bends. <laughs> I was, I was going, well, it's nice to have that vehicle because I do not own a car at this moment. And, and it was a really good back and forth too, like that I didn't include in the book because we started talking about what our values. And then that point, like this person couldn't understand, well, I work really hard, so I deserve it. And I'm like, yes, you deserve that luxury vehicle. Um, and it's, and it's better experience if you truly believe that it aligns with, with what's most valuable to you. Now, if you're here sitting down telling me that what's important to you is traveling around the world and kind of checking off countries in, in your bucket list, then we got to have a serious conversation about your spending habit. And most people don't want to have a conversation about their spending habits. And so, but, but it's been illuminating. Uh, that person no longer has the uh, the Mercedes Benz. They they decided that traveling is much more important, and they finally got their passport. Their first trip was a cruise in in the Caribbean. Uh, they've been to Ireland, Sydney, uh, so a whole host of different places, and they feel a bit more fulfilled. Surprisingly enough, as this person has gotten happier, my friend has gotten happier uh, in their job. Well they're slated for promotions and that promotion comes with more money and actually comes with a bit more flexibility to work from home and work anywhere around the world, thus perpetuating uh, the lifestyle that they wanted to live. So it's, it's really interesting. The moment we confront our spending habits with our values and start making conscious decisions, things start changing. Matching our spending habits with our values. That is brilliant. especially. If we find ourselves to be folks who complain, like you're kind of saying, right? Like, I don't have this or I can't do that. But then we're not really incorporating the behavioral changes that help us 
get there, right? It's like, we want to talk about it, but we're not ready to be about it. We're not ready to make those sacrifices to actually get to what we say we want. You're absolutely right. I mean, when it comes, there are so many books on personal finance. I mean, you can go into Barnes and Nobles, you can go on Amazon, you can find hundreds and hundreds of books on personal finance. We know deep down inside that we're spending more than we're earning. We know that we're in debt. We know we're not making enough money, but why aren't we making the changes necessary in order to kind of fix our situation? It boils down to mindset. And, and that's why I wanted to take a familiar term that had this negative connotation, YOLO, and you only live once, and get people to, to kind of think of it in a different way that reflects on their life. This is your opportunity to live your best life. Are you living it? And most of us are not living it because we're in that constant cycle of overconsumption and indebtedness and also mindlessly spending on things that don't add value. And so therefore, it's again, it's, it's, a, it's a disregard for the time that we do have. And so mindset, you know, your talk about mindset, your talk about behaviors is what I focus on on this book and what I focus on in my conversations because when it comes to budgeting, when it comes to paying off debt, there is a system in place. And, and so for me, like the overarching goal was to kind of kickstart the conversation on mindset, kickstart the conversation on, on our behaviors that are impacting us negatively. I, I've never attended one of those sessions where it's like those get rich like seminars, but people would tell me that they would be packed and, and I wondered, and I was curious, why are they packed? So I attended one just to kind of understand why there's so many people willing to pay like a hundred, two hundred, a thousand dollars to learn how to make money. And when I sat there, the vast majority, 99% of the time, they are talking about mindset, they're talking about behavior, they're talking about motivation. And I said, this is what's lacking in the personal finance space. We're so busy trying to tell people, you need to do this, you made a mistake, you need to do that, as opposed to going, let's have a serious conversation about your values. Let's have a conversation about the vision for your life. Let's, let's talk about your feelings and your emotions before we start setting financial goals. And when I sit down with financial advisors, they'll go ahead and they'll, they'll have a conversation. What, what do you want to accomplish? You want to buy a house? You want to save a million dollars in your retirement account? Okay, well, you know what? We can draft a plan. We can start talking about mutual funds, index funds. We'll talk about insurance. And I'm there going, this is, this is good and all, but I don't think I'm going to be able to follow through on this. And in the, you know, for them, like they're in that field, they're making money off of that field, and they understand it's important. I know it's important, but no one wants to have that, that hard conversation about our, our beliefs, about our emotions and feelings when it comes to money. And so I, I think that's what's important. I think we really need to address our, our thoughts, our feelings, our hopes and dreams as it relates to money, because money isn't everything, but money permeates every aspect of our life. You know, I say in the book, like money is, you know, like fill in the blank. And it's interesting when people say money is evil or money's powerful or money is this and that. And ultimately, money is a tool. And the more money we have, the more capable we are in doing things because, you know, tools help us to do things. But also, we need to be skilled in using that tool. And, and so that's where that foundation aspect of it. So yes, like I'm all about like the vision, values, uh, a philosophy around money. And also, you know, foundationally, we need to understand the banking system, the, the stock market. We need to understand debt and credit. Uh, because when we understand the basis of that with our, with our like clear vision for the life we want to live and of our values, we're going to make smarter, better decisions. Yeah. And I think we'll be more entailed to stick to it. Right. Because there's a bigger picture. When you talk about like the purposeful money strategy, you know, for saving and spending in these different things that it really comes down to also just having a why, like knowing what you want, but then having that why and something that you can really attach it to. And I love that you talk about in the book, like making sure that you're saving purposefully. So there's always a purpose behind it. Right. And I used to say the same thing, like 
if you don't have a reason for why you're saving, your your mind is always going to be like, let me focus on what I need now. If there's no bigger why to what you need down the road, there's no there's no connection there. It's always like, well, let me satisfy what I need today. Can you talk about that? Well, yeah, because uh, money, as I mentioned, money is a tool, but money is also energy. It just flows, you know? So it's either we work, it flows through us, and then we spend it, it flows to someone else. It's constantly flowing. And so when we don't tell our money where to go, then we'll always wonder where it went. And so for me, I went ahead and I was saving that emergency fund. And I'm like, okay, I guess, you know, emergencies happen. Let me just... or. Or like, take a step step back. People say, save for an emergency. I'll go ahead and I'll save for an emergency. But I really didn't know why, the the why behind it, aside from the fact that I knew that an emergency was going to happen. And now I understand the purpose behind it. You know, we save for an emergency in that emergency fund because we don't want to feel distress during a time of uncertainty or when we need to pay a bill um, that we didn't expect to arrive. And that kind of gives us a, a, a peace of mind and peace of mind is really priceless. And so when I talk about emergency funds now, I, I go, well, that really is about peace of mind. When something would happen, it allows you that opportunity to, to take a, a step back and breathe and go, okay, nothing, not going to go into ruin. You're going you're gonna to be able to cover things. And so with the purposeful saving strategy, it was one of the things to help myself figure out where to allocate my money without spending it, right? So I wasn't going to spend it on some new sneakers and I wasn't going to spend it on a new car, but I didn't necessarily knew how I could uh, purposefully or intentionally save it as opposed to just putting into one account. No one talked to me about breaking it down. They just said, save money. Okay, I'll save money. It's actually better for us to say specifically what we're saving for And when I worked at the credit union, we were able to open up multiple savings accounts and title these accounts specifically. So when I went online or on the app, I could see where this money was set aside. And so it wasn't just this one lump sum. It was divided into my car fund, my vacation club, my taxes, and money I wanted to spend for my nieces and nephews. And that got me excited to say, yes, I want to put in an extra 5 or $10 in, the, in these funds. And then when I wanted to make the purchase, I knew I had something saved up. And so it makes achieving the goal a bit more fulfilling. And, and something that I've learned now, because I wrote the book four years ago, and it's interesting how the core beliefs are still there, but it's an evolution. And so when I mentioned that, you know, uh, saving money helps us achieve these goals, but having this purposeful saving strategy can make us feel fulfilled. So it's about fulfillment as much as it is about achievement. Yeah. You know, my big thing was always emergency funds never sat well with me, just the term emergency. And one of my big things is I've always believed that words are so powerful and putting alarming words next to my money didn't feel good. So I always use the term opportunity fund. And I would tell folks, yes, it's used in the same way as you would use an emergency fund. But I found that with my clients when I was doing one-on-one coaching down here in Atlanta, that I could really encourage or inspire them or help motivate them to save more if they were saving for something they wanted versus something that they were afraid of, right? And it was like, well, what am I saving for? You know, people are like, save for a rainy day, save for if your, your roof leaks or you get a flat tire. And it's like, that's not anything that people really want to think about. But if they were saving for something they wanted, to your point, having that very specific goal with the different titles on, on the accounts and all that stuff, if they did encounter an emergency, then great. They, they still had the money, right? They could shift the money to do it. But when we were just talking about saving for emergencies, I could not really get people to save. They would put money in and take it right back out by Friday. They get paid Friday to be out by Tuesday. Right. And they could not get consistent. But when it was like saving for that vacation and they had the visual with it and they knew where they wanted to go. And I would encourage people to get little tchotchkes or little things that would remind them of what that goal was, then they were more committed. But then life happens, right? And so if life happens now, it's an inconvenience, but it's not a crisis. 
And I found that to be really, really helpful with the one-on-one clients. But before we jump into questions from our live audience here, this is so cool. I have one more thing I want you to talk about. Speaking of funds, I want you to talk about your concept for the Freedom Fund because I just loved, I love this so much. And I think that more people would know it was doable if they thought about not just early retirement, but just the ability to take some months off and go do what they want to do, that it was actually a real thing that they didn't have to wait 30 years to do. Can you talk about the Freedom Fund? Yeah, so I, I want to relate that to your opportunity fund. So I am very familiar with your your take on emergencies as, as in terms of opportunity. And so opportunity fund and the Freedom Fund actually are, are really tied in with each other. And so for me, I, I am a big believer that we should not be working nonstop 365 days a year and only take that two weeks off, that we actually need break. We need a break um, because we need our body, our mind, our emotions to kind of stabilize. And we're, if we're constantly on the grind, it really just break us down, right? So I'm a big believer when we're constantly grinding, gears that are constantly grinding, what happens to them? They break down. And so for me, it was important that, that people take a break longer than just two weeks. And most people that have two weeks off, they'll take a few days here, a week here, and they get back to work. They're still in that, that mindset of, of exhaustion. And so what I learned when I took a break from my corporate job and I backpacked around the world and I started uh, as a blogger and, and started in this mission of financial well-being, I realized how important it was for me to have that one year off. You know, some people call it a sabbatical. Others call it a gap year, right? So in Europe, people take a gap year right after high school, before they enter college. They take that one year to go out and explore. And there's also a movement in the U.S. where they're encouraging high school students when you graduate to take a year off, not to just go around the world um, traveling, but taking that time to have apprenticeships, taking that time to doing internships and it's an opportunity to, you know, within that one year, you could literally be sitting down with four to six different people in different industries, getting to know what it is that you want before you jump into college and into student loan debt. And I think that's such a beautiful thing. And it ties into this freedom fund. So when we're an adult, we're in our 20s, we're in our 30s, our 40s, or 50s, what have you, we still need a break from the day-to-day grind. And so the Freedom Fund was my way to say, listen, it's not that hard. And we just have to look at our expenses. So that Freedom Fund, we look at our monthly expenses and we save up towards that to kind of buy our month. So if we look and say, you know, it costs me $2,000 a month to live, right? That includes my rent. That includes any payments I need to make. Then that means if I have $2,000 saved up, I have just bought myself 30 days of freedom. Now, double that. That's two months. Triple that. That's three months. So now that becomes doable. Now you know if you tell me I need three months away because I want to spend it with my children during the summer, but where can I find the money? Well, you can plan for the next year or so to save $6,000 so you can take that unpaid leave of absence from work and still cover your basic living expenses. And, and I try to encourage people to, to stretch that out into you know, six months or, or even a year. Because within that six months, a year, if you're looking at if your monthly expenses is $2,000, multiply that by 12, that's $24,000. If in five years, you could save $24,000, you can take a whole entire year off to pursue some of your interests, the things that, that, that passions you've put aside, um, serving your purpose uh, for an entire year without having to worry about money. And people will ask me, well, it'll be hard to get back into the workforce when you, know, when you take off like six months or a year because there's that gap. I'm like, yeah, but not why, why you think it's hard. It's going to be hard for you to get back because you realize what it means to be too, totally free or financially free. It's not the other way around. It's not that these employers don't want someone that took six months or a year off. It's that you realize what it means to be financially free 
and what it means to utilize your time intentionally and purposefully. And I can guarantee you, and this is just for myself and, and everyone else, you become a more interesting individual when you take time to discover your interests, when you take time to, to implement or actually give time and resources to these interests, which becomes your, your passion. I'm a big believer that passion truly is just time and resources invested. And so when you're interested in something, you invest as much time and resources in it, then you're passionate about it. The moment that you no longer have time for it, well, guess what? You're not passionate about it. And that's okay because there, there are seasons for these things. And serving purpose is serving something greater than ourselves. And so passion is something truly uh, internal and then, and then can also become purpose. Uh, again, to you know, being able to serve someone else. Like for me, I became really passionate about personal finance, and then I didn't realize that I can, you know, serve a higher good and others um, by writing about it and speaking about it openly, and it thus beca- became my purpose. And and so it's important for us to know when we take a break from what we've been doing for years. And we use this freedom fund to, to finance that period of time, our mind opens up to new opportunities. It opens up to new experiences. And, and ultimately, what I've learned is that we're so limited in our ability to see what's, what's available because our experiences are limited. And so if your experience is just going into work nine to five, sitting in a cubicle, doing the same thing day in, day out it's very difficult for you to figure out what your passions are, to figure out what your purpose is. But if you allocate some time um, uh, in, in figuring out like thing, or just really testing things out, gaining experiences, you'll discover some of these experiences are very interesting, personally interesting to you, and eventually something that you can, you can serve as your purpose. And so that Freedom Fund, I encourage everyone to do so. Uh, that requires looking into, you know, creating that budget, that that framework, and figuring out what what is my income, what are my expenses. Let's do some number crunching here. And it's not about you know the the act of deprivation and, and discipline. I think you mentioned this uh, as well, but you know everyone thinks that that a budget is is that act of deprivation. It's going to prevent you from doing the things that you want to do. Well when you have a purposeful budget or what I call the YOLO budget, you're allocating your money and your resources on things that are important to you. So it becomes your framework that enables you to do these things. And so again, going back to that freedom fund, I mean, I, I, I recommend everyone to, to really look at the book and start kind of outlining what it, what it would cost them to take a year off. That's so dope. I just love that idea. I really, really do. I'm encouraged to to really have something that's specifically a freedom fund because a part of my vision is to take a year off with my daughter before she graduates high school and like live in like Costa Rica or somewhere. I don't know. Uh, So, you know, obviously I can work remotely, but I wouldn't want to come back and forth in terms of like speaking or anything. I would just want to be gone. So, you know, I am definitely, I've already talked to my husband about it. I'm like, Jason said <laughs> it's possible. Okay. And therefore, so I appreciate that example. Um, so- I do want to, yeah, before I do want to say one, one aspect of it for all the creatives out there, for all the entrepreneurs within your community, and also for anyone that works in corporate America, I have a term that I use. We all know the term CPR, right? Which is like when something's happening, you, you perform CPR. I look at that in the entrepreneurial creative world. CPR for me stands for create, promote, relax. So there's a period where we create. We spend all our time to create some really amazing products and services. And that's where our intention should be at. Then there's a, there's a season to promote. Promote what you've just created. And we also need that period of relaxation because in that relaxation, that's that moment where we're mindful and we're present. We're aware of what we've just created and the time we've spent promoting it. And in that period of relaxation, that actually lets us soak in the hard work we've done, the accomplishments, the failures. And surprisingly enough, it ignites new ideas. 
if we're constantly creating and promoting, and it's that cycle, right? If you're a digital media influencer, you're constantly creating, promoting, creating, promoting. Why do you think all these YouTubers and social media influencers are having mental, emotional, and spiritual breakdowns? Because we're not given that period of relaxation. And so now I'm, I'm out there getting, telling everyone CPR, that period of creating, promoting, and relaxing. And then I'll get that combo. Well, I don't have the money or that, that, uh, that ability to, to truly relax. And, and I say, well, you know what? Use that freedom fund as you're creating, promoting, have that intention um, to, to be saving for that period of relaxation. And, and that just helped, helped me kind of take leaps in my business as well as in life. I love that. Oh, I love that. I hadn't, uh, I hadn't heard of your CPR method yet, but I really, really like that because I can totally see how it's easy to get in that cycle, create, promote, create, promote. And then for those of us who are high, high achievers or do too muchers, it's really easy to just go from one thing to the next. And not even stop, like you said, and reflect on, wow, like, look at what I just did, you know, and what will, and really take the time to assess, you know, what worked, what didn't, how do I feel as a process or, you know, in the process of all of this, but taking that time to relax, that's good. And even, you know, it doesn't have to be that year off. Like you said, that, that it can, you can use the Freedom Fund to do two weeks off, a month off after you've like put in some serious work. I really like that. Um, so I want to give an opportunity for some of our pod club members to either give feedback or just share what they are taking away from the conversation. My name is Dahim. I am from Brooklyn, New York, but I live in Detroit, Michigan. And um, I normally read my book. Hi, Jason. I'm sorry. I normally read read my books via Kindle. So what I did was I did the Kindle, I downloaded on my Kindle, I got the Audible, and it was that good that I had to order it through Amazon. And I took all of the action steps and I put them on, on Word document and then I started nowhere near finished, but it it's very needy in terms of like everything to follow the action steps. It's, and I noticed that I had been tying emotions to some of the things because like the first action step, when you said, how do you spend money or what, what is your relationship with money? I never really thought about it outside of just spending it. I was like, wow. And when I started to answer these questions, I started to have emotions towards it. And they weren't the best of emotions. I was like, oh, wow. That's awesome. Thank you so much for, for that feedback. This is Gwendolyn Lyons. I'm actually living in Olive Branch, Mississippi currently. So my question to Jason is, I currently work a, what you would consider a nine to five job right now. And I just wanted to know what advice would you give on overcoming the fear to start your purposeful role for example, for instance, how do you build yourself up to eventually give up everything you've ever known to do to explore things that are, at this point, the unknown? Great question. I love it. So I'm actually one of those people who believe working in corporate America and working a nine-to-five isn't necessarily a bad thing. Usually when there is a discussion about, you know, working for yourself or working in corporate America, there's a desire to push people to say, yeah, continue to just work for yourself. It's better. It's actually much harder um, than working 40 hours in corporate America. You're going to end up working 80, 100 hours working for yourself. And so what I like people to think of their employer. So I want you, Gwendolyn, to think of your employer as your first investor in discovering your purpose. And that has to do with shifting your mindset. No longer should you tie your self-worth or your value to the job you currently hold. So stop defining yourself based on your title. Stop defining yourself based on the work that you're doing in that nine to five and start thinking of that nine to five as the resources that you're getting in order for you to find the things that you're interested in and be able to make that switch. 
because most of the time when I hear these, this advice to say, just quit your nine to five and go out there and figure out uh, your life's purpose, I can tell you right now when those bills start coming in the mail, it's going to be very difficult for you to, to find your purpose when you're just trying to figure out how to make ends meet. It's important for us to start changing some of our behaviors. So once you make that shift in your mindset, switch your behavior so you start being more mindful of where your money is going. So not only are you getting income from your employer, you're now being mindful about how you're spending that money and then allocating some of that money into those purposeful savings accounts. That is extremely uh, important or into that freedom fund to give you the six months, the three months, the six months or the year to figure out what it is that you want. We all have like, again, YOLO, right? You only live once. We all have the same 24 hours uh, in a day. There is 200 and, and I'm forgetting the number now from the top of my head, 268 hours, let's say, uh, uh, or 100, excuse me, 168 hours uh, in a work in a week. So if you're working 40 hours a week, if you're sleeping for 40 hours, you know, you still have a good chunk of hours left over to kind of figure out what it is that you want to do. And again, there's a process, figure out what your interests are, start devoting time and energy and resources to make that a passion. And eventually you'll realize that it not only serves you, it's going to serve someone else. And that will be your purpose. And uh, believe it or not, once you're able to take care of yourself, and then you find that there's, there's purpose in there, you're, you are able to build a business around it that can sustain that. I love that. I love that, Jason. And that's actually one of the things that I've said for years is that when you know your purpose, you can set your priorities. So once you get clear on that, it gives you the opportunity to, again, add direction to the dollars that come in and go, okay, because I know that this is what I want to do, that job is funding this. But now instead of just mindlessly spending that money on these different things that may seem like success to other people or may look like success, if it's taking away from me actually going to live my purpose, then it's no longer worth it. I need to redirect that money towards what I say I want. That's a great question, Gwendolyn. I know you helped uh, other folks on the call. So in the interest of time, Jason, as we wind down, uh, every guest on the Redefining Wealth podcast, we end by asking some rapid wisdom questions. So I'm going to ask you a few questions and we just want you to tell us the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. All right. How do you define success? Success is the ability to fall down and get right right back up and keep moving forward. I say failure is just a pit stop to success. You know, it's it's not permanent unless we decide it's permanent. So that's that's what success is to me. You just keep proving that we are just cousins like <laughs> we were separated <laughs> in the 80s or whenever. <laughs> Uh, my favorite quote is by Winston Churchill, success is going from failure to failure with that loss of enthusiasm. I did not know that, but there you go. Yes. So you are <laughs> like, man, we were destined. Okay. How do you define wealth in three words or less? To live well. To live well. That's good. That's good. What's one book that has redefined how you see wealth? It's not so much related to money, but it does touch upon it. And I recommend everyone to read this book. It's called A Guide to a Good Life by Dr. Irving. A transformative book uh, for me, uh, it, it places Stoic philosophy as on its head in terms of I thought what Stoicism was and what it isn't. And it just helped me uh, live a, a better life, a good life. I love it. All right, fill in the blank. My name is, and for me, the truth about wealth is. My name is Jason Vitug, and the truth about wealth is well-being. I think wealth is truly about living our best life, and that includes you know, the mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical well-being. I, we're, I mean, what else can I say? We're like related. Again, Jason is actually my cousin. I know <laughs> 
look alike, you guys, but this is a real, this is a real connection here. Now, Jason, I appreciate you so much. Continue to just be proud of you just for everything that you've done from the moment we we were bobbing our heads on that dance floor six years ago up until present and beyond. Like you were just awesome. And I'm just so honored that you took time out of your evening to spend with my community, uh, with doing the interview for the podcast. I, I speak on behalf of everyone else. Man, just keep up the good work. Thank you so much, Patrice. This was awesome. And thank you for allowing me to to be part of your awesome community and sharing some insights on my beliefs. And hopefully it's inspired uh, a number of folks to go out there and get a better understanding of their, their mindset and their beliefs. Yes. And their freedom funds. And their freedom funds. We're going to be free. Yes. <laughs> All right. Didn't I tell you this episode would be epic? Oh my gosh. Jason is amazing. You Only Live Once is a book that should be on your shelf. When you just think about looking at how you spend money on things based on how many hours it would take you to earn it, (laughs) like, like mind blowing. I, I know that was a big aha for many of you, but there are so many gems in this book that truly as you heard, will shift how you see money. And it's one of those things I would say, get it now, read it, and let it allow you to create your own plan, your own roadmap as you go into 2020. It's going to be a game changer. Trust me. Just trust me. All right. Make sure you hit up Jason in social media. I will definitely be linking to all of his pages in the show notes and hit me up in social media, Seek Wisdom PCW on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. And also in the Purpose Chaser community, again, I am a purposechaser.com. If you want to be a part of Patrice's pod club and get in on the ability to be a part of these interviews, how dope is that? Like, I would love to see you there. And as always, listen, I want you to get courageous in having these money conversations. And sometimes the courage has to start with having them with yourself and then not being afraid to have them with other people like Jason did when he had to have those tough conversations with a few friends. Mm -hmm. It might require that. So think about who you need to have a courageous conversation with and come back next week for part three of the series. All right. Until next time, I want you to go live your life's purpose, find fulfillment and earn more without ever chasing money. Talk to you later. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.